What's happening, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, and at this moment, I am making it four for four on Sports Radio 610. I did all four hours of Penny Pendergrass with Seth Payne from 6 to 10 this morning. I will do that tomorrow as well. And then Friday, I will be doing it with Cecil Shorts as Seth gets a much-deserved day off on Friday. I then jumped in for one segment of In the Loop with Landry Locker. I jumped in for my uh, bowl hit with Ron the Show Hughley and Cecil Shorts. And now all access from 6 to 8 tonight. So my four home run day. I mean, a rare thing in baseball, right? Guy hits four home runs. It's rare. I just hit all four shows on Sports Radio 610. Yeah! <laughs> Let's hear it from me. No, I'm just kidding. But it has been a blast. I appreciate you guys for being here this evening. And, of course, Texans All Access. We're going to focus on the Texans and focus on NFL. And we have got a number, a number of things to hit. We're going to hear from GM Nick Casario here in just a second, just after I tell you what else is on the show. We've got Kevin Kugler, who is one of the best around. That's our Men Behind the Mics series this week is Kevin Kugler, who calls all of our preseason games, does NFL games weekly for Fox, does college games on Saturdays. He's one of the best in the business, if not the best. I absolutely love Kevin. He will be here with Mark Vandermeer. Then we got a Where Are They Now Wednesday with Owen Daniels. Drew Doherty catches up with his pal, and that's going to be a good one. Juicy in the second segment. And then we got a little bit of In the Lab in the second hour as well as Drew and I chop it up about what happened last Sunday against the Chargers and looking ahead a little bit to the 49ers as well. So we got a lot to do with the show this evening. But as I mentioned, we will kick it off with the general manager of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. Here we go. Nick, happy holidays. Great to have you with us. What's your reaction to the game on Sunday, the victory of the Chargers? Uh, morning, fellas. Uh, good to be here. Uh, yeah, uh, really a collective effort. I know David mentioned after the game, you know, top to bottom, you know, there's a lot of people within the organization. I think the the one thing that was very beneficial and helpful was the communication throughout, just the timing of when players were going to be available. Um, and there was a lot of planning that went into it. So we had a lot, a lot of dialogue as a staff, you know, during the course of the week in terms of who may or may not be available, what the contingency plans would be. Uh, and then the implementation of that, you know, took place on Sunday and, you know, the players went out there and executed. So really a credit to the players and the coaches for being ready to go and take advantage of the opportunity and, you know, playing a, a good, clean game against a good football team, you know, who they were dealing with some things as well. But, you know, fortunately, we were able to handle the elements a little bit better than, than they did. Um, you know, so it's so a credit, credit to everybody involved. Nick, you've been part of Super Bowl teams and you've had, you know, different contingencies at different times through different games. But it felt like with the transaction list that came out Saturday, I remember seeing it going, oh, my gosh, how are they going to get this done with so many moving parts? And yet you went out there and played probably the cleanest game you played all year. I don't even know how to ask the question, but how did you do it? I mean, really? I mean, I know communication is part of it, as you said, and there are other things. that. But how did you get it done with so many changes happening so close to kickoff time? Yeah, really, you kind of chart out the course of the week. So we had the walkthrough Wednesday. And so Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we essentially practiced with the players that we felt were going to probably more than likely play in the game. And then if we were able to gain somebody back at the end of the week, that was one thing. So one of the things that we did um, on Saturday was we – 
promoted some players from the reserve list, knowing that they probably weren't going to play. But if something were to pop up Sunday morning, then we would just be able to pull from the inactive group. So, mm. you know, we kind of prepared for every different scenario. So the players that played in the game, they all practiced during the course of the week. So I think from a timing, from an execution, from understanding the opponent, like they were prepared to do that. So and then there were just some minor things on the fringes here at the end of the week that we were forced to do or that we did. And we just what we try to do is create as much roster flexibility for us. You know, the Chargers had no inactive players. We ended up with five inactive players, you know, which a few of those weren't going to play anyways because if they were injured or something. But in the event that something were to happen Sunday morning, like if we had to grab a player from the inactive list, then we could just make them active. So, um, again, it was a lot of dialogue and discussion throughout the course of the week through a lot of different people. I'd say Jeff Kaplan probably was as integral a part of what we did last week from just the communication or the league standpoint, when the players were cleared and that stamp from, from that standpoint. So um, really a lot of people deserve a lot of credit for, for what uh, happened on Sunday, but ultimately it comes down to the player's ability to execute and the coaches putting the players into position to go out there and perform well. Yeah. An organizational victory, Nick on opening day in that victory, from to Sunday's victory, you had 10 different starters on defense. Obviously, the offense completely reshaped different starting quarterback and the offensive line different. What does that say about the organization top to bottom that you're able to transition that way? Well, we we've had a lot of chains and a lot of moving parts all throughout the course of the year. So I think the, the main thing is our ability to stay focused on the task at hand each week is the most important thing. And, you know, sometimes we haven't always received the results that we wanted in terms of wins and losses, but the players have worked hard. They've stayed focused. The attitude has been good. Um, we've seen some players improve. We've seen some players take advantage of their opportunity. So really what we're trying to do as best we can is top to bottom is develop as comprehensive a program as possible where everybody's involved, where everybody has an important part. And, you know, David's talked about this from the beginning. It's all about the team. It's not about one player. It's not about, you know, one individual. It's about a collective group effort. Um, and what you're trying to do is build a team that can sustain the ups and downs over the course of time. So, you know, we've had our moments, you know, since I think the Miami game, you know, we're three and three over the last six games or whatever it is. So, you know, we've made some incremental progress. So, you know, hopefully we can finish strong here over the next couple of weeks against two quality opponents. Um, and then start to prepare for whatever's ahead in the offseason. Nick, we talked about rookies all year long, and I know Mark and I talked about the success that some of those rookies had. In fact, most of the rookies, if not all of them, had on Sunday. But if you wouldn't mind enlightening us, because I know we mentioned the name Michael Dwumfor, and I know there are a lot of fans going, wait a second, who's that? And he played in an NFL game for the first time. He's a rookie. He played at Rutgers and Michigan. I mean, he's a pretty interesting guy, and then you watch him on the field, and you're like, whoa, man, this guy can move. What did you see in Michael Dwumfor in the game on Sunday, and what did you see before that that made you want to go out and get him to be a Texan? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a good question. Um, so as you mentioned, you know, had a background in Michigan, so I think Pep and Ben were there, you know, at Michigan with him, and then he played the last season um, at Rutgers for Coach Ciano. So, I mean, we have a lot of respect for Coach Ciano and the program that he runs and the type of types of people and the types of players that he's trying to build the program with. So I distinctly remember talking to coach in the spring and he thought that he certainly is a player that he felt would be competitive, you know, on an, in a camp situation or NFL roster. So um, I think we were depth wise on the defensive line, um, a little bit low. So we brought Mike in. We uh, I can't remember if we worked him out or not. We may, I can't remember if we worked him out or not, but it was a player that we had kind of earmarked. Um, and then he came in and, you know, he has some explosiveness. He has some short space quickness. I'd say he's fairly strong for his size. So um, he went in there and was able to give us some positive plays along with a number of other players. So 
Um, it, it's really, you never know when we've talked about this on the show regularly, you really never know when your opportunity or number is going to be called. So you have to make sure that you're prepared for it. And to his credit and to a lot of players credit, they were ready for that challenge on Sunday. Nick, you're able to run the ball. Well, we'll get to Davis mills in a second, but that aspect of the game with this offensive line, you have Cole toner out there. You have Jimmy Morrissey out there who was starting, took a seat again with the return of Brit, but then gets back in there. It's almost like a, a mills or a Tyrod to mills back to mills situation. Uh, tell me about the offensive line of the job. They did punching holes in the defense and Rex's day. Yeah, anytime you run the football, it starts with the offensive line. So, I mean, all those players, Morrissey has played a lot of football for us, was kind of forced to play a little bit when we didn't have Britt. And then, you know, Cole's had a lot of experience in this league, playing center, playing guard. Um, he's with Coach Campen, um, you know, in L.A. And then Jerron's played a bunch of football for us over the course of the year. So even though it might have been kind of a new group, if you will, um, those players have all played a lot of football. Max played a lot of football. Charlie's played a lot of football. Um, and then we were able to execute. I think the backs did a good job of kind of helping the, you know, the run game. A lot of it is contingent upon the line and the backs working together. So the backs setting the, the blocks up, you know, the line understanding the angles and where the play is going to hit. Even the first play that we ran, you know, I think Rex had an inclination based on the front structure that the ball was going to go back to the backside, but he didn't go back there too soon. And he was able to press the line of scrimmage and allow the offensive line to execute the double team. And then he was able to take it out the back door. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of components that go into the running game. Um, the backs, their course, their relationship to the offensive lineman, the offensive lineman taking the proper angle, um, coming off on the double team. So we were able to generate some movement um, on the interior part of the line. So anytime you run the football, it starts with the offensive line and the tight ends are a part of that as well. Nick, we reached that part of the show and we are contractually obligated to ask about Davis Mills and his progress. <laughs> Um, so let's ask about Davis Mills and his progress. A nice day, 130.6 rating. I know you guys probably don't give uh, a rip about the numbers, but zero. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I knew you would say that, but I know our fans kind of, sure. you know, they see some of that stuff, but just did the numbers match up with what you saw from Davis on the field, qualitative, quantitative, they match up from what you saw from him Sunday. Yeah, sure. No, Davis made good decisions. He, he took care of the football. Um, I think even going back to when he first arrived here, you know, he always felt that he was a fairly accurate thrower. So um, he's made a lot of progress. I mean, if you think back to training camp, you know, we had the day where, you know, he threw five or six interceptions, right? And in one day, and, you know, it's like, holy cow, you know, what's going to happen? How is he going to bounce back? But I think he, he's got a, a great mindset um, and he just keeps pressing forward and you're going to go through some ups and downs. I mean, every, I'd say rookie quarterback has had a deal with that throughout the course of the season. I mean, you look around the league, I mean, Max gone through it. Trevor's gone through it. Zach's gone through it. I mean, Trey went through and we had to play against Arizona. So um, relative to Davis, you know, made good decisions. Um, I think there's a couple of plays on third down there. They're, where he was patient in the pocket and he kind of let the play develop a little bit and kind of worked his progression left to right. Um, I think that one of those is the first or second, third down there, you know, when he hit Nico, he kind of started left and came back to the right. So, you know, it's a credit to his maturation. It's a credit to the work that Pep and TK have done with him um, and be able to go out there and execute. And then, you know, probably one of the better situations offensively was our ability to execute there at the end of the half, you know, a backed up situation. So, get the first down, hit the shot, you know, put ourselves in a position where we're going to actually score before the half, understanding that we were going to get the ball to start the second half. So I'll try to two for one at there a little bit. So hit the big play to, uh, to Phillip, who made a great grab. And then, you know, made a good throw to Chris down the sideline there um, against the coverage. Um, so 
you know, it's good team offense. And, you know, again, if you get good quarterback play and you make good decisions, I mean, the quarterback's going to handle the ball 99% of the time. So, you know, everything starts with him. But, you know, relative to the progress that he's made, you know, he's certainly he's moving in the right direction. Nick, Johnny and I deal with a lot of the fans outside media, you know, outside the building, stuff you don't hear. And some people have said, hey, you want the best possible draft choices uh, in the upcoming draft. What does winning do for you? I'm all about winning. I want to win games. I want to see it happen. I know you guys are fully focused on that. I know when the draft comes around, you probably want to draft every player in the first round, have all 32 picks, but that's not possible. Tell us what winning does for the team right now, this time of year. Yeah, look, the goal ultimately when you go out there on Sunday is to try to win. You try to put yourself in the best position to give yourself an opportunity. And you put a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of effort to players. Players have a lot of pride in what they do. They want to go out there. Um, they want to make a good account of themselves. And you want to try to win. You want to try to be the best version of yourself and put your best foot forward for the team and you know the organization and the city and go out there and win. So I think to your point, Mark, People get too caught up in, I would say, draft positioning and draft stock. The reality is it's not going to be about where we draft, what pick we have. It's going to be about who we get in the building, how we get them here, and then what they do ultimately when they're here. So when you look at some of the better players in the league, you know, the best running back arguably in the league was the 40th overall pick in the draft. So, and, you know, I don't think anybody's worried about where he got drafted. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there, uh, look, the draft's an important part of the team building process. It's one part of it, but it's not necessarily about where you pick. And, you know, honestly, wherever we pick, we pick. If we pick three, we pick three. If we pick lower, we pick lower. We pick high. It doesn't really matter. It's about finding the right players for the organization that we can build a good program and a good team with. You know, they're good people to understand what we're trying to do just collectively. Nick, my favorite play of the entire game was Tremont Smith's seven-yard toss sweep. And it was because – a guy was playing both ways. I think it might be, and Mark, the historian, could tell us this. I think it was the first time that I know – it's the first time I've ever seen a Texan play both sides of the ball during a game. Yes, it was one play. I get it. But how often are you thinking about players in different roles? Like, okay, this guy was, you know, way back when, you know, he played wide receiver. If we get low on wide receivers, maybe this guy steps over there. We talked a little bit about that with Troy Brown over the years, Julian Edelman. But how often are you thinking about that, especially with things like COVID hitting – about, hey, man, where can we use a guy's talent maybe somewhere that we haven't thought of before? No, it's actually it, – it's it's in the back of your mind. So when you actually get to the game day roster, you have 48 players or 47, 48, however many you have. So how do you best deploy the assets that you have? So if you can give a player, put a player in a position to do something maybe that he doesn't traditionally do, that can help the football team. I mean, we can talk about San Francisco here in a little bit, but when you look at what Debo's done, I mean, Debo's got seven rushing touchdowns, which is more than, you know, any modern-day receiver um, in NFL history. So his versatility, what he brings to their offense, it brings a different dynamic. It forces you on the other side of the ball defensively. Like, you have to prepare for that. So if a player is able to do multiple things, again, you really want to make sure, A, they can handle it. You can't just say, well, we're going to ask this guy to do this. Well, if he's not comfortable, he can't handle it, then you shouldn't put that player in a position. But on a smaller scale, if you can give a player something different than he normally does, I mean, look, I don't know how many offensive linemen caught touchdown passes the other day, but it was a a few of them, right? Lane Johnson, right, there was two, whatever it was, John. So it's really about you look at your assets, you look at the team, how do we best utilize those people? And if somebody can do something traditionally that, or excuse me, do something they don't traditionally do, 
I mean, like we don't have to talk about Mike, but you go back to Vrabel and Vrabel caught 10 yeah. touchdown passes, you know, over his course of his career. And the guy played outside linebacker and inside linebacker, but it helped the team and he was able to handle it from a mentally, a mental and physical standpoint. So however you can deploy your assets, however you can utilize your players, like that's your responsibility as a staff to try to do that. What about San Francisco, Nick? San, uh, I almost said San Diego. The L.A. Chargers had 10 days to get ready for you. The 49ers have 10 days to get ready for you. What are we looking at in this franchise? Yeah, it, it's it's a really good football team. In, historically, you go back and look at kind of how they developed their program going back to the Walsh days. I mean, when Bill took mm-hmm. over the program, I mean, they were kind of a rudderless ship. So, I mean, I think they won, I don't know, two or three games the first few years. And then the third year, they were able to have some progress. And then they established, you know, arguably one of the better dynasties in the football organizations in the history of our sport. So specific to this team, it starts with Kyle and John. Uh, they have a vision. Kyle's as good of a coach and good of a play caller as there is in the league. I think the one thing that stands out about them is how physical they play. I mean, they're as tough and physical a team that will probably face this season on both sides of the ball. Um, good offensive line. Um, outstanding tight end. You're not going to find a, a more well-rounded player than Kittle. I think the thing that stands out about him is just the way he competes, um, his competitive, just competitiveness down in and down out. And he, as a blocker, he excels. So they run the football well. Um, they have the Yak Boys and Iuke and Debo um, and Kittle. Um, so they're really good with the ball in their hands. I think they have as many yards after the catch or contact as any team in the league. So tackling is going to be at a premium. Um, and then uh, I, defensively, you know, Bosa is one of the best players in the league, period, regardless of position. And they're using him kind of on both sides. So really strong front, good in the middle of the defense. Fred Warner is as good of a linebacker is in the league. I mean, I think he's played, I don't know, 95 percent of the snaps since his rookie season. Um, and he's had over 100 tackles a year. So big, strong, physical uh, player, two good safeties. Um, and they have some experience on the perimeter. The one thing that they do better than any team in the league, I think they've forced like 20 fumbles. Norman's got seven. Bosa's got four or five, so ball security and taking care of the football is going to be at a premium, and they have a really good core group of players in the kicking game. Uh, Flanagan Flowers, Hufanga, the rookie, has given them some good plays. Cannon, if he plays, is as fast a coverage player as there is. So they present a lot of challenges. They play physical. They want to run the football. Um, They don't give up a lot of big plays on defense, and they have a lot of, I'd say, highly skilled players. You know, the one question mark probably towards the end of the week here, we'll have to get some clarity is the whole quarterback situation. But we'll have to prepare for both Jimmy and Trey um, and be able to go out there and execute regardless of who's on the field on Sunday. Nick, obviously you have a history with Jimmy. Trey's a rookie, played one year at North Dakota State. So there's probably as limited information as as there could be. One guy you know really well, one guy uh, we haven't seen, but I think for one game against the Arizona Cardinals, preparing for those two, how do things change when Jimmy's, in the game versus when Trey's in the game? Yeah, there'll be some things that are similar relative to how they structure the running game and then the boots and run actions off of that, Um, whether or not they have more of a running element with Trey, a quarterback. Um, To your point, John, I mean, Trey played one year, one year plus a game. Uh, He played a bunch in the preseason, so you go back to the preseason, kind of see what transpired. I think he's he's had a number of good players and made a number of good throws in the preseason. I think he had a few long completions or long touchdown passes in the preseason. Um, they played against Arizona, you know, on a road, and they, that was a competitive game. So they have different skill sets. I'm not sure Kyle will change that much materially. Their core is their core, but they may have, if Trey plays, maybe a few things specific to him. And then Jimmy, if he plays, can handle the whole offense like he's done since he's been there. 
Nick, New Year's Eve is coming up. Big party, party hats, uh, champagne, midnight and beyond in the Casario household. No? I can't remember the last time I've stayed up for New Year's <laughs> Eve since my yeah. wife and I have been married. So we're old school. So I, I'd probably go home, have some dinner, do a little bit of work and fall asleep and then wake up in the morning to a bunch of texts wishing everybody a happy New Year. But, uh, you know, it's exciting. It's a new year. Turn the page. But, uh, yeah, we're going to I'm pretty low key, low profile. That's unfortunately my personality. Mm-hmm. OK, um, somebody, you know, has asked this question. So I'll ask you New Year's resolutions for 2022. <laughs> <laughs> I try to keep it simple, you know, just try to, you know, I mean, look, we're very, I'm very blessed and, and fortunate to have, I'd say a lot of important people in my life or in my life, starting my wife, my three girls and our dogs. So, you know, just try to be the best version of myself each day and, you know, turn the page a new year. I mean, it's all about opportunity and it's all about what we do with those opportunities when they're presented. it. So, you know, I try to live a pretty simple, clean life. So, um, you know, just blessed to be here and just realize how fortunate we all are to have each day and never take anything for granted. Nick, thank you so much for the time. Best of luck this week. Thanks, guys. Take care. I did get a little bit better answer on New Year's resolutions uh, than Nick's former boss, Bill Belichick, gave after the loss. If you haven't heard that audio, man, that is some unbelievable stuff. But uh, Nick, gracious to spend uh, a good 20 minutes with us. So we really appreciate his time. He does that weekly. We have such a blast talking to him because there's so many different things that we can hit. So really appreciate Nick for jumping on. Now, there is news about this team and a lot going on. When I was on with Seth Payne this morning at 7.30 this morning, it was announced that Tavier Thomas named the AFC Defensive Player of the Week. Yeah! Man, so hyped for Tavier. He's been so good this year. So very good. I've mentioned a few times that the I felt like Kamu Grugier-Hill is the defense MVP for what he's been able to do for this team. You can throw Justin Reed in that mix. He's been awesome this year. Eric Murray, when he's been healthy on the field, Eric Murray has had some really good play. Over the last probably, I would say probably since the bye, and, and even before that, but definitely since the bye, Tavier Thomas has been outstanding. He is named AFC Defensive Player of the Week. It is the first time that a Texan has won Defensive Player of the Week since... Whitney Merciless did it in week two against the Jaguars in 2019. So that follows up Traymon Smith winning special teams player of the week in the AFC last week. Get the AFC defensive player of the week this week. And that's not all. We also found out today that the FedEx air and ground players of the week. The air player is Joe Burrow, which I know you don't care about unless you have Joe Burrow in fantasy, but he was outstanding, so that makes sense. The FedEx Ground Player of the Week is Rex Burkhead. By winning the FedEx Ground NFL Player of the Week award, FedEx will work with the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, the largest organization exclusively representing the black college community, to make a $2,000 donation in Rex's name to historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs. Over the course of the entire season, select HBCUs will receive grants totaling more than $100,000 to support needs-based scholarships through the 2022-2023 school year. Rex was outstanding on Sunday. He will tell you, and we'll have him on Friday with DP Sidhu, he will tell you, man, it's the offensive line. I, I know him. I know selfless players. Rex is one of those. But congratulations to Rex as a representative of the entire running game for winning the FedEx Ground Player of the Week in Week 16. And there's more 
That number 16, on upwards of 16 players, were brought back off the COVID-19 list today. Those include Justin Britt, Brandon Cooks, Kaimi Fairbairn, John Grenard, Kamu Grugier-Hill, Neville Hewitt, Jordan Jenkins, Jaleel Johnson, Roy Lopez, Eric Murray, Derek Rivers, Lane Taylor, and Eric Wilson. Now, Seth and I spent a lot of time talking about the vaccination thing today and the new protocols. Either way it works out, the Texans getting some players back for this week. And there's more. It does appear that Danny Amendola may be ready to go against the 49ers, which definitely will help the passing game as they get ready to face one of the more physical defenses in the league. Woo! That's a mouthful. And that's a segment. One-on-one with Nick Casario, FedEx Ground Player of the Week, AFC Defensive Player of the Week, and players coming back off of COVID. Man, it's a holiday miracle. How about that? All right, let's go men behind the mics next with Mark Vandermeer and our good pal, Kevin Kugler, right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and I've had the opportunity, the fortunate opportunity, to work alongside the great voice in our town, Mark Vandermeer. It's been a pleasure, and I give him a task every single week. It's called Men Behind the Mics. Well, this week, Kevin Kugler, Texans preseason voice, calls games for Fox. He's had an opportunity to call some games for the 49ers this year. They had a chance to catch up the Texans play-by-play voice alongside the Texans preseason TV play-by-play voice. Mark and Kevin, here we go. Welcome, and it's great to catch up with you. How have you been, my friend? I've been great, Mark. It's great to catch up with you as well. Congrats to the Texans getting some winning done here at the end of the season. Yeah, what do you make of that? Because I know that, obviously, you were with us, Green Bay, for the three preseason games that started in Green Bay, and you know Davis Mills playing a lot lately for the Texans and playing better. What's your take on it? I'm happy for Davis because I really liked him in the preseason, but at that point, you know, everything was just so fast. You're just getting into the NFL and you're looking around and seeing all these guys flying all over the place. It's clear that it's slowed down a little bit for him, which I'm excited for him. And I'm excited for the franchise because look, you've got to figure out what's going on at quarterback and Davis's play of late seems to have been able to say, all right, maybe there's something here we can work with in the years going forward. And at least it means there's no urgency to go out in the early stages of a draft and find another quarterback. I think he's played well enough to earn an opportunity to get that job again next year. And that's really encouraging for the Texans, but you know, I watch the Texans now and there are a lot of different faces on this roster from when I saw them in the preseason. That's a different team right now with injuries and trades and everything else for sure. Well, speaking of a lot of new faces, doing preseason football probably helps you with what you're doing right now, which is COVID <laughs> football and working games for Fox because we see so many games where so many new players are available on a Sunday. And I don't know about you, but you know my roster on Sunday looks like a Jackson Pollock painting. You know, I'm scribbling in new names and things like that. How has that been going for you? Well, my wife is a big puzzle person. She loves to do puzzles. I feel like I'm doing a puzzle every week, putting my spotting boards together because I'm taking one piece and putting another piece in here and there and everywhere else. It's been, I I tell people, I put my boards together during the week as all of us do who do play by play. But this year, when I get to the city on Saturday night, I basically spend my Saturday evening 
redoing my boards after everybody's gone through all these roster changes. And that's not going to be any different the remainder of this season. This is just the world that we're living in right now with the cases sky high. Hopefully the NFL protocol changes will help that a little bit for the teams involved. But it's just a it's it's a it's a piecemeal situation right now for all these teams. And for those of us broadcasting the games, we learn quickly about some guys who we didn't expect to see on the field. Kevin Kugler with us on Texans Radio. So, Kevin, I know you did the Tampa Bay-Carolina game last week, so tell me what you saw out of Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. They're not completely healthy, but they clinched. What do you think of their chances down the stretch and into the postseason? Well, anytime you have Tom Brady, I feel pretty good about your chances, and until he's not out there, I will still think Tampa Bay is one of the favorites in the NFC. But you're right, they're a really banged-up team. No Fournette, no Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, year. It's a team that is going through a lot of different changes right now, and they're trying to figure out their way forward. They lost Levante David. Shaq Barrett got uh, knocked out in that game. He's out for the remainder of the regular season. So those are a lot of big names on both sides of the ball for Tampa Bay, but you still have Tom Brady. And as long as you can cobble something together over the next couple of weeks, get those guys healthy, they should get a good chunk of them back for the postseason. Tampa's going to be a team that's going to give you a lot of problems because Brady is playing at an extremely high level. He's got the chance to lead the league, Mark, in both passing yards and touchdowns. It would only be the second time in his career he did it. The first time was 2007. We're talking almost 15 years later, and a man who's 44 years old has the chance to do it again. He's a remarkable, remarkable player. Well, have you seen the Packers? Have you done any Packers games this year? I have not had them other than the preseason. Oh, and I take that back. I did have them on radio one time earlier in the uh, earlier in the season. So I have had them in person once. So who do you think is the best team in the NFC, really? I know Brady can bring that X factor like no one else can once they get there. But who do you like here coming into the postseason? I, I, I really do lean Green Bay only because Aaron Rodgers is also playing, obviously, at a terrific level. And this felt like, at the beginning of the year, a team that was – going all in for one last run. I know there were a lot of comparisons made because the Bulls documentary was somewhat recent in our minds, Mm -hmm. but it is kind of like that where they're going for one last ride, one last dance during the season. And if you can secure home field advantage, and I know they haven't yet, but they're certainly in the catbird seat for that. If you can secure home field advantage and have to go through Lambeau field to make your way to the postseason, it's different than going through Lambeau field last year, because this year you'll have fans. This year, the place will be packed. This year is different than last year. And I know that people say, well, they didn't get there last year. Well, that's true. This is a different year. This is a different team. I still lean Green Bay when I look at the overall picture in the NFC. Tampa Bay is right there in the mix. but I And so is Dallas, by the way. But this Green Bay team, to me, is the favorite still. Kevin, you just did that Carolina-Tampa Bay game, and it's year two for Matt Rule. We've seen the Jacksonville Jaguars a couple of times, once with Urban Meyer, once without. You know, I'm talking about college coaches trying to make that jump. And with Rule, look, it's year two. Maybe it's relatively early here. Urban Meyer didn't work out for a variety of reasons. As a guy who sees so much college football, why is it so tough to make the transition into the NFL? I think one thing is coaches have a very difficult time adjusting to the different power structure of the NFL versus college football. When you're a college head coach, you have ultimate control. You can control a guy's playing time. You can bench him. Not a lot of questions come up. And if they do, you can easily brush them aside. Look at the Urban Meyer situation. James Robinson, their running back before he got injured. 
fumbles a football. They take him out of the game. He doesn't come back in. They ask after the game, what happened to James Robinson? Well, he kind of defers to his position coaches. Well, that's not going to fly with NFL media. It's not going to fly with NFL fans. Maybe you can pull that off in college, but there's just, and you certainly can't pull it off with NFL players. And that's the other thing. It's very difficult for college coaches. You have to be a special kind of college coach. You look at a Pete Carroll who was an NFL coach, then went to college, had great success, then came back and has obviously until this year had tremendous success with Seattle. Those guys are the rare breed. It's very difficult for college coaches who have that, in my opinion, the ultimate control at the college level to come to the NFL and be able to exert that over a 33-year-old nine-year pro. They just don't listen the same way or have the same respect as they do in college when you're 18, 19 years old, and this guy controls how much playing time you can get. You have Atlanta Buffalo this week. So the Bills, obviously, super strong, feeling good about themselves after beating the Patriots in Foxborough. What about the Falcons versus Buffalo? What do you make of this one? And what do you think of Buffalo as we get to the playoffs? I I think Buffalo is finding their rhythm at exactly the right time. And they've got a quarterback who can hurt you in so many different ways in Josh Allen. Look, this is a talented team. You know Cole Beasley will be back from the COVID list. So you have Emmanuel Sanders, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, a trio of wide receivers that are very, very difficult. You have a quarterback who can hurt you. You have to defend 11 on 11 because his legs are as dangerous as his arm in a lot of ways. And you have a very talented tight end in Dawson Knox, who is one of the more underrated tight ends in a very good tight end league. This is an offensive team that is outstanding, but as good as they are offensively, they are underrated nationally defensively and that's where you're going to win this thing you've got they're the number one total defense team in the league i think you could go into a lot of bars across america and win a lot of bets based on who's the number one defensive team in the league well right now it's the buffalo bills their two safeties are doing a tremendous job in the secondary with jordan poyer and micah hyde each of them have five picks this is an outstanding defense with some names that maybe people don't think of across the board. I just named two of them, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, that are among the elite players in the National Football League. But as a team, it's the best defense right now. And so you com- you combine a really good offense with a good defense and confidence peaking at the right time. This Bills team is going to challenge in the AFC. Kevin Kugler joining us on Texans Radio. Kevin, as a broadcaster, as a fan of football, your reaction to the passing of John Madden, what he meant mm. to you, what it signifies all around the league and beyond? Well, I, I first off, my thoughts went to my former partner at the college level, Matt Millen, who was not only a great friend of Coach Madden, but was a fan of Coach Madden. And they, of course, knew each other for so many years and were so tight and so close. That was the first person I texted when I heard the news last night because – I knew how much Matt would be hurting. This is this one will really hurt him and so many other people who were impacted by Coach Madden over the years. For me, uh, obviously, my our careers never passed. His his career had finished by the time I got into the broadcast realm. But I always I cannot think of John Madden without thinking of my grandfather. My grandfather was the most influential man in my life. He was the 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 the, the father figure to me and. He was not a sports guy. He was a little accountant from a depression era. So he was not a guy who thought about sports as anything other than a leisure activity, but he knew how much I loved it. So he would watch football with me and he always loved John Madden. He thought he got a kick out of the John Madden comments, you know, like so many of us did. He was entertained by John Madden, which was the point. And so I can't ever think about John Madden without thinking about my grandfather. And so that always provides for me 
a, a certain warm feeling. Anytime I think of Coach Madden, and I don't know how many hours of my life I wasted spending time playing Madden video games over the years, but it's it's in the triple digits or even more. But uh, it, it's just there's so much nostalgia tied to the name John Madden and his works, and all of it is those warm feelings of nostalgia. So his passing impacts me from a standpoint of it's another piece of my life that's now gone. I didn't know John Madden, but I felt like so much of my path was connected to what John Madden did, whether it be broadcasting or even just the playing of video games with friends. Mm -hmm. All of that was impacted by John Madden. Yeah, that's a great point. I It blows me away that he worked for all four networks. I mean, that is fascinating to me. And at one point, he earned more than any particular player in the NFL. That Fox deal paid him big bucks. And, you know, he called the very first Texans game at Fawcett Stadium, the old Hall of Fame stadium, wow. the Hall of Fame game back in 02. You've done games there, right, for Westwood One, I believe. Yep, yep. And, you know, they have only one bathroom in that press box, Kevin. <laughs> and at halftime of that game, my Madden memory we all rushed down to the bathroom, and they said, guys, we got to hold the bathroom for John Madden. And I thought, okay, I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There aren't too many people you'd say that for. But, yes, okay, Mr. Madden, please go ahead. You go first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's really cool stuff. Kevin, who are some of your influences in broadcasting? I know you got started in Omaha, and, and we've talked about your rise before, but who are some of the voices, whether it be on TV, radio, maybe people you don't even know that well, but who are some of the influences that really motivated you and inspired you early? Well, you know what's funny is that I grew up in the early era of satellite television, and so – one of the thing, one of the first things that we had from a satellite television was they had the, they, they were the super stations. We had a super station package on the Dish Network at that time, the very first Dish Network that came out, and you could get the super stations from across the country in one package. So KTLA was on the super station, and so I could sit and I would watch. And I'm a Cubs fan, grew up a Chicago Cubs fan, loved Harry Carey, loved the entertainment aspect that he brought. But I would turn over and watch Vin Scully do games because Vin Scully, to me was the absolute peak of the art form of broadcasting because he was a storyteller. And I always told people I would watch him broadcast a game with my team because I would learn about my team from an opposing team's broadcaster, which to me was the highest of compliments. If I can learn something about a team that I think I know as a fan from somebody else who's broadcasting for the other, quote, other team, that to me was the absolute pinnacle compliment for any broadcaster to be able to say that about somebody else. That was so for me, Vin Scully was I, I wouldn't say I patterned myself after him because that would be an insult to Mr. Scully. But I certainly appreciate the art form of storytelling that he always provided, whether it be on TV or radio. Um, I always enjoyed Brad Nessler growing up. I thought his voice was fantastic. He came from similar roots used to do division two sports and climbed his way up. So I always appreciated that as I got older, because I know that's a difficult path to take, but that's the path he took coming from Mankato and going all the way up the ranks in the broadcast world. It's just, it's, it's obviously some voices like Vince Scully that are prominent and Brad Nestler very prominent now, but at the time when I was growing up watching him call college games, he was not at the pinnacle of sports he was not at the top of the broadcaster chain but I always thought Brad Nestler was a fantastic voice and I always appreciated what he did um, you know and then you grow up in the Midwest 
and you see certain guys that come through and you you take little parts from things they do. If you're watching a Dave Armstrong call a big eight basketball game at some point, you take something from that. Or if you're watching Ron Franklin later on do college football or big 12 sports, you take a little bit of something from that. There's just a lot of those names that when I think about all the people that I watched and appreciated over the years that pop in to my mind, Mike Patrick, who was here for so many years doing the college world series in Omaha, I always got the chance to see him in the press box as he got older. And he, as I got into the press box and got into the broadcast realm, just so many of those names and faces that I think of over the years. I love hearing those two guys on the air together. The voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer with the voice of the Texans preseason TV wise and NFL on Fox, big 10 basketball, Kevin, Cougar. All right, we get back. We'll do a quick run around the NFL. Any news and nuggets that we need to hit? We'll do that next on Texans All Access. On Texans All Access. On Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm calling all my Houston area teachers out there. I know you're on a break right now and a much-deserved break, but I know you're going to get back to things very, very soon. And I want to ask you if you want to bring a little Texas football to your classrooms. Well, then sign up for Toro's Math Drills presented by Phillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexas.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Okay, we've got to do our Schlumberger Stats Challenge, and this is probably a perfect time to do it. And my stat is 130.6, 130.6. That was the passer rating of Davis Mills on Sunday against the Los Angeles Chargers. 21 of 26, he had two touchdowns, did not throw an interception. It was the second time this year that he has gone 130-plus with his quarterback rating. He was 141 against the Patriots. He was 130.6. In his last three starts, Davis Mills has been 92.2, 93.2, and 130.6 on his passer rating. He has thrown five touchdowns in those three games. He has just one interception that was thrown in the win at Jacksonville. Tyson Campbell picked him off on the little sail route, out route to Jordan Akins. That got picked off. That's it. Five touchdowns, one interception. I know people are like, nah, he shouldn't. He, you know, look what he did before. You can't look past what he did before. Yeah, he was a rookie starting for the first time, played some great defenses, and he didn't play great. And we told you he didn't play great, but he's playing better. And that's what you want to see a rookie do is improve. Improvement. And that's what he's doing. And hopefully he takes another stride against a very good San Francisco 49er defense led by former Texans linebacker and current defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans. Looking forward to that matchup and seeing Davis Mills take another step. That's that challenge brought to you by our friends at Schlumberger. All right, we've got a lot to do in our second hour. We're going to start with a Where Are They Now Wednesday with Owen Daniels. Yeah, that's right, Drew Doherty, Owen Daniels next right here at Texans All Access. We got one hour down and one hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. So glad to be with you. And it's time for our Wednesday Where Are They Now? Drew Doherty catches up periodically. I'd like to say weekly, but it's not every single week because, you know, Drew's got a ton of other things he's got to do. But when he does get a chance to catch up with a former Texan, it is glorious. And this week, it's one of the great ones. Tight end Owen Daniels. Drew, take it away. Oh, man. We always love catching up with former Texans, but we've never caught up with the greatest Texans tight end ever. 
That's right. Owen Daniels oh, joining man. us now. How you been, man? You're looking good. What's new? I am doing all right. Great to see you. Great to yes. talk to you. I'm living in Houston. I got two little boys, six right. years old, four years old, uh, Henry and Benjamin. And my wife's doing great. Angel's doing well. And so man, I've been, this is my sixth season out. Retirement was interesting at first, you know, interesting waters to navigate and not, it was actually ended up being a much more difficult transition than I had anticipated it being. If you followed my uh, journey at all through what Henry, my son has been through and then what I've been through with my mental health, but I have learned a lot and I'm in a good place now. People go through stuff all the time. So, you know, from my end, I'm realizing that being out of football, it's, you're going to have your good days, you have your bad days and kind of do it our best to kind of be mindful of everybody and especially with, with everything that's going on in the world right now. So. The great thing for me is that, so obviously, retiring from football, it's kind of, you know, I've been doing it my whole life, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like a loss. And sure. I didn't realize it was going to be like that, necessarily. I've had the opportunity, 2019 was the first season. I'm now three seasons in. I had the opportunity to get football back in my life. And I'm an assistant coach on the varsity football team at the Kincaid School, the Kincaid School here in town. So I've had a ton of fun. It's been super rewarding. Uh, what exactly? What exactly are you coaching them on? Like, are you the tight ends coach, or more than that? Or so, yeah, it's high school football. So we have our offense has kind of has changed a little bit over the first couple of years. My first year, I was at the tight end coach. We had tight end bodies. We were able to do that type of stuff. And then this past season, we did more of the past two seasons. It was more of an air raid type of an offense so I was coaching the inside receivers okay so that was my position group the inside slot receivers kind of where I worked a lot uh, as far as similar type of routes and things like that so we had some some really good athletes to work with and as far as my role on the team I just tried to help out wherever I could wherever I thought I could help out whether if it was an alignment with their with their technique you know, receiver running a route, going back to my quarterback days, helping the quarterbacks with, the, with their footwork and things like that. So just doing what I can to help make the game simpler. The kids, those kids at Kincaid, college prep school, they got a lot going on with academics yeah. and all those things. And they're eager to learn. They want to improve. And, and I just try to find a way to communicate things to them in a way that's, that's simple. Football is a pretty simple game. It comes down to fundamentals. It comes down to simplifying as much as possible. And that makes the game that much easier. So you know, just doing what I can to kind of pass my knowledge down, all the things that I've, you know, the knowledge that I've accumulated over the years, over, you know, learning from great coaches that I've had in college and the NFL, obviously, just teaching kids the things I wish I would have known back in high school. So it's been, it's been an awesome part of my life. You got any baby Owen Daniels, baby Joel Dreesons that you've been working with there? Kind of, so it's asking you know, a lot. <laughs> it, it, you know, <laughs> It is because baby OD in high school was a, was a quarterback. It's and true. Yeah, that's true. Who, who wanted to be a, a big time college quarterback. So, you know, I don't know if we have a guy like Joel Dreesen <laughs> or myself on the <laughs> roster right now. I'm hoping I can get back to uh, getting some kids who the body type to where we can run the type of offense. We're going to, we had an offense coordinator change during the season. And so but there's a potential for having a new type of an offense next year, having a little, having a tight end a little bit more involved. So I'm really pushing, you know, anytime I get a chance, I am pushing for those Kubiak keepers and all those run fakes and things like that to get the tight end involved because we like to run the ball there. Our, our head of coach is great about he wants it to be a physical game, wants to run the right. football. So I got a whole bunch of ideas about stuff to do off of those runs. So and anytime I can help out, whether it's a tackle, I feel like my experience 
in the NFL when it comes to blocking guys is really similar to a lot of these kids who play O-line at Kincaid now. Typically, they're undersized kids. They got a lot of heart. They're tough kids, super smart kids, but they tend to be maybe a little bit smaller than you'd want to have in an O-lineman, which is perfect for me to explain things to them because we can relate like, hey, you know I had to compensate. guys yeah. that were way bigger than me too. So yeah. I, I understand and I know what it takes to be successful about those guys, you know, against those type of guys. So I think that's when they kind of start to tune in a little bit like, oh yeah, he did have to block guys that are way bigger than him. And I'm in that same situation. So man, it's, it's been awesome. Football is in my life. I get all the best parts of the game. You know, I get to go over there for three, four hours every, every day and, and throw play, play ball, the kids play catch. And it's been awesome. That's cool. You know, you just brought up Gary Kubiak and we were lucky enough. We got to spend a little time with him in April and go up to his ranch just Northwest of town. And he said oh, he's yeah, enjoyed yeah. catching up with you over the last few years. It's kind of a nice, that's a nice guy. You can kind of dial Hey, if you had a question, you can you know, always go to that guy. He's just down the road, right? hundred percent. And I have, so there you go. There you I go. Have. You know, I, I consider coach Kubiak to be a great friend of mine, someone who I can hit up anytime I need anything at all. We've kept in touch. Like you, you know, like you said, he mentioned over the years, got a chance to play some golf together. I saw him most recently at Peyton's hall of fame enshrinement. So it was great to see him there with some other former teammates, but he, every time I see him, whether it's him or, or him and his wife, like, Hey, bring the kids up to the farm do yeah. some fishing or, or whatever. And I've already gotten his ear. I already have our training camp playbook from, from back in the Texans days. So I have that. I can <laughs> access that anytime I need to. I'm looking at it week to week during the season and the off season to see what I can add to the Kincaid offensive plan. So he's been awesome. And it's great to, it's always great to have something like that on your side. That's really cool. That's really cool. He's a good dude and love, love hearing from him. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, you were here a couple of weeks ago for the homecoming. You were one of many former Texans yeah. that got to check things out. What was that like for you? What was it like seeing some guys that you, you brushed up against, you played with during your time here? How was that? Yeah, it was great to be back in the building. Despite what's going on, it's always great to run into guys who, man, even if it was a, even if it was one year together or, or a bunch of time together over the years, be able to run into guys. Those weekends are, it, it's, it's hard sometimes. And, and sometimes like I kind of understand, I think we had a pretty good turnout, but sometimes I can just understand guys' hesitancy toward going back for those things. It's been hard sometimes to be proud of, you know, sometimes things that I did on the, on the team back in the day or my, you know, football career. Because sometimes you feel like you don't want to boast or brag about it. But at the same time, that was a big part of my life. And, and it's hard sometimes to go back to those things because that part of your life's over. Sure, uh, but then but but once so this year I was you know, I had gone a few years ago I think I had taken a year or two off from going I didn't I didn't go last year just for pandemic reasons and then I might have missed 2019 and I was kind of bouncing back from my mental health struggles but kind of find finding my right place and was kind of busy with first year of high school coaching anyway but this year I made a point to go back and and even. And it has nothing to do with the event. I think, you know, Candace does a fantastic job getting all the guys together. And the Texas organization has nothing to do with it. They do a fantastic job of welcoming guys back. And it's just like a personal thing where it's like, man, do I want to go back and, and relive times that, I, that, I'll, that I'll never be able to get to go back to again? It's it's one of those. It's, it's weird because once I once I decide to go and I'm actually there and talking to guys, it's like, oh, man, like I wish we could do yeah. this every weekend type of thing, you know? That's, it's a, it's that's a, nat it's a natural reaction, man. Like it's. And it's yeah. not just limited to you and, and other guys that played football. I mean, hell, I, I talked with, I just had my 20th high school reunion, 25th, excuse me, that's how old I am, back in the summer. And there were guys that 
basically we're in the same boat as you, like for whatever reason, Hey, do I want to go back? You know, am, am I, have right. what I, has what I've done since high school, you know, will people think this of me, dot, dot, dot. you know, it's, it's a natural, it, I think it, it goes, it's apples and oranges, but it goes and translates to all, all parts of society going back to a yeah. time in your life, what, which was drastically different and most ways happy, or sometimes it's different, but I think that's a natural response to have, you know, and, and I'm glad it was, I'm glad it turned out, you know, in a positive way for you. Cause yeah, everybody loves I, you here, I, you know, I think, I think it is natural. And I think that's why I'm mentioning it is kind of because I, I'm just, I've, I've learned how to be a little bit more honest with myself and actually verbalize things that I'm talking that, that I'm kind of going through my head through learning about myself and saying things and speaking about experiences helps other people. You know, and it sure. helps, you know, hopefully maybe it'll down the, like, whether it's next year, if someone who sees this or hears this is like, oh, you know, I was thinking about going and I was kind of feeling about, kind of feeling the same way as OD. And, and he said he, you know, really enjoyed the experience, was happy that he went. And it, and it is different. It's definitely worth it. I came back from that weekend. I'm here in town, but just from that experience, just being grateful and it's a lot of good energy around the guys. And it's definitely just a, it's a little bit of a boost. Totally. I didn't get a chance to see you while you were here, but you know, I keep up with you on social media. And when I saw you were there, I was like, Oh, that's all. That's, that's really cool. And you're, you know, your boys with you, your wife, that was, it was yeah. really fun. I, I'm glad you got to make it and glad you got to, got to see some, some of your old I bros. Am too. Huh? I am too. We, I'm, we had to leave a little early cause we got a uh, Henry or some little kids. Had, uh, <laughs> we had basketball practice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we, had basketball practice we had to get to and, and he's pumped about hoops. It's one of the, it's like the first sport. He's like actually like really excited and asked me to go outside and practice with him and, and things like that. So as a oh, dad, you gotta love you know, that, huh? That's uh, it's super cool. I'm like every, he comes home from school. Dad, can we, can we go outside and shoot hoops? Like, absolutely, man. I've been that's waiting cool. for this the last six years. So <laughs> that's tremendous, man. That's, uh, that's really, really, did it just kind of happen over the last few months that he's gotten into that? Cause he's what a kindergartner yeah, first so, grader. Cause he's in kindergarten. Yeah. yeah. We, he's, he's done soccer and he's done t-ball and he did some flag football this past fall. We're just kind of having to try everything out. And basketball is the first sport where he was like, I want to do basketball. And so like, all right, awesome. I'll make sure I sign you up for this. SBMSA is hard. Uh, you better be on there signing up right away. You better get Knowledge. in. I'm in SBM. We're in SBMSA too with ours. Yeah. Because man, there's so many dang kids and which is, which is awesome for the kids. And it's just, he's pumped and he's out there shooting, shooting every day. It seems like he can get out there. So yeah. Hey, like, like you're asking the first time. Yeah. He, uh, I guess whenever we you know, he's like, when is practice starting? What, you know, what team am I on? Who's on my team? Um, <laughs> and we were waiting for them to kind of organize everything over November and December. So yeah, over the past month, he's just kind of really jumped into it. Yeah. You guys are about to hit it real hard in the next few yeah. weeks. Tell me about becoming a Texan. You're in that splendid dra draft class. You're pretty much smack dab in the middle of it. You got Mario at the front and D'Amico. And at the very end, you got David Anderson, you, Eric Winston, yeah. lots and lots and lots of talent guys that helped franchise turn the page you were here from when the texans were mired in beginning as losers and i mean shoot you were here through the best years of, of, of their existence in 11 and 12 what was it like when you got here what was draft weekend like for you coming out of wisconsin who the draft weekend was it was cool back when it was just two days right it was just saturday, saturday and sunday so i was third or fifth round pick projected Obviously, I, I thought I should have been a higher pick, but hey, that's just the way that it goes and injuries and things like that affect those type of things. But the first three rounds went by and I had some people at my house that weekend. 
as the hours ticked by Saturday and the, and the and the picks came off the board, just kind of get a little bit quieter and a little bit quieter in the house. It's like, <laughs> guys, don't. <laughs> it's not a big deal. You know, we got tomorrow. So yeah, I got a call first thing that Sunday morning, and the Texans had the very first pick of the fourth round, the very first pick of the second day. And got a call from Coach Kubiak. Got to talk to everyone and asked me if I've if I've been in any trouble. I'm like, no, sir, I haven't been arrested. You know, <laughs> just you know, house cleaning questions I ask you just to make sure. And it was it was crazy because I was talking to him, and then you know, I, as I was on the phone with the team that said they're going to draft me with the first pick of that day, I'm getting a call from somewhere else. Like, I, I didn't know. You know, I wasn't up on my southern area codes back then. It was a 504 number, and I was like. I, I can't answer this. I'm on the phone with Coach Kubiak. And that number I called back later on for the draft had started that day. And it was, it was Sean Payton who was calling to say, hey, hey, uh, so Sean Payton and I uh, went to the same high school. Naperville, right? Naperville, Illinois, Naperville Central. Hey, Owen, has anyone called you yet today? <laughs> I was like, ah, sure. Sure enough, uh, actually, um, Coach Kubiak and Texas called. They said they're going to take me. And he's like, well, congrats. Happy for you. You know, we'll, we'll be there right behind you if, if something happens and, and that falls through. And so it was a crazy morning for me to be able to see. I think the cool part for me was seeing someone go up to the podium and announce my name. And yeah. I uh, get to see my name called on draft day and not everyone gets that experience and they flash the names up you just don't see it but that was just like that icing on top and I was just pumped to to get an opportunity my college career was it was an experience because I spent two years playing quarterback and I had a mindset to be you know quarterback in Wisconsin and the NFL hopefully and you know my plans I make adjustments within the game of football and change positions and put on a weight and learn a new spot and you know obviously a lot of credit goes to the the coaches and Coach Alvarez there at Wisconsin for giving me that chance saying like, okay, this guy can't play quarterback, but maybe he could help us somewhere else. So I was just, you know, I didn't know a lot about Houston. I do remember having a great meeting with Coach Kubiak and Brian Perioni down at the Combine and just a kid who was, who wanted to come down and make the team. I knew that they had some veterans on the, the roster at tight end. Didn't really know much about the guys that were here before I got here. Obviously, I really got to know Mark Bruner and Jeff Putzier really well and, and Ben Steele and, and the guy, you know, the vets that had been around in the league and learned a lot from those guys and really felt like I was part of a great tight end room. Very welcoming. If you know Mark, if you, you know, know Mark Bruner at all, he's like the nicest guy in the world. He's like the strongest guy in the world and the nicest guy in the world all at the same time. And as like a 12, 13 year vet at the time, he was he was willing to help a the young guy develop and wasn't uh, wasn't afraid to share what he knew. I mean, I think sometimes you'll get that with some veterans and Mark was a team guy and a heck of a guy. And now was, you know, fortunate to be able to, to walk in the door and put in a ton of work and be a starter from day one. So next year, Sean, uh, Matt Schaub comes to town. Dwayne Brown comes a year after that. But yeah. with Schaub getting there, I mean, what'd that do for who you were as a player? Matt fit perfectly in that offense. As far as what Kubiak wanted to do, Matt's ability, his leadership ability, was just a great fit. I had known about Matt Schaub, and you know how we had had the season we had in 2006 with David Carr, and they obviously wanted to go another direction. and And I remember seeing on the ticker that the Texans traded for Matt Schaub, and I think I was working out at the time or something. I'm, I think I was actually on vacation for some reason working out on like February and was super pumped, like let out a cheer in this, in this gym. And people were looking at me funny, like what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> He's pumped that Matt Schaub got traded to the Texans. Okay. 
and, and hey, man, Matt and I had a great relationship, relationship over the years. We're still close to this day. And he's a guy that we needed to come in and, and kind of just be that solid, dependable player at the quarterback position that, that maybe we were lacking in years past. You know, and you guys have a winning season that first year. You have a winning season the second year. Or not a winning, but you go to 500 both those years. Then yeah. in 09, you're on a tear, dude. Like Texans go to five and three and into the bye, but unfortunately they lose you and they, they kind of had to adjust. They lose the next four games. And I think in large part, that was because your absence really jiggled things. What was it like? I mean, obviously it sucked getting hurt, but you come back with a, with a vengeance and in 10, 11, 12, you're outstanding. What was that transition like? Because you miss out on that second half of that yeah. season, but you come back and you didn't skip a beat, really. I have uh, everything happens for a reason, right? In timeout, in timeout. I just in about a thirty second question minimized, you know, a a year or so of, <laughs> of awfulness, and I don't want that to be no. the case. I'm not saying that, but no, I'm not. Yeah, I know that's not not what you're trying to do. No, but hey, you're right. I mean, I was whatever, all rookie team, my rookie year. And then had a good year in 2007. And then 2008 was a Pro Bowl year for me. And then 2009, I think I'd like, that was the the eighth game of the season. Mm-hmm. We got to five and three. We we're playing at Buffalo at former ACL. Uh, but going into that game, I had 39 catches. And so I was like, so I had 40 catches through seven games, 500 yards through seven games. And so I was on pace for a large season. And the things that happened the way they did was tough because I really think we could have made a, a playoff push and kept the momentum rolling there. And we had to make adjustments. I remember that first game back, you know, we, we started the game in four wide receivers. We had never done that in three and a half previous years that right. we had played. So I think they're just, you know, trying to adjust and figure out things because I'd make it made a big impact. Was, especially that year. I, I was making a big impact. And looking back, maybe they wouldn't have done as much adjusting. Maybe if you can go back and do it again, but uh, I had been through that injury before. And so I, I, I had confidence in myself that I could come back from that injury, be as good, if not better, stronger, faster than I was before. So that's part of the game of football, man. You're going to run through, you're going to run into situations where you have to deal with adversity. You have to be resilient, you know, whether it's position change and, and injury in college that kind of triggers that position change, which is what happens for me. I had that a big, a big knee injury in college and then, you know, a similar knee injury in the NFL. And, you know, I always looked at myself as someone who could bounce back from things like that. It happened to me in high school, it happened to me in college, it happened to me in the league. So this figure is one of those things where it's just kind of something I was going to, those are the cards I'm dealt. I'm going to show guys in the locker room, in the building that, you know, if they hadn't seen it before, that I'm not afraid to work and I want to do everything possible to be there for my teammates. And then, yeah, this, the, the success comes after that hard work. So, you know, I, I put it in and you, know, you reap what you sow. Let's fast forward to 2011. Weird year all around. I mean, it starts with Wade Phillips and that crew coming in and some changes on the defense. It's the lockout. You guys work out at Rice University and U of H, I think, under the direction of Matt Schaub, largely that summer and during OTAs. I mean, he was instrumental in that. And then you get to camp and you start going, start out 2-0, and and then you get to about a 500 mark and you all just peel off a win streak. In the process, you lose Schaub, you lose... Matt Liner and TJ Yates comes in. How bananas was that whole calendar year for you? Wow. So reflection is something that I'm working on. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's hard to reflect on things in life or realize, wow, like we went through a lot that year. Mm -hmm. And to put it all in perspective, like you just did, like, oh, yeah, we had the lockout. 
And thankfully, we had the leadership of Matt Job to organize these workouts. We had great turnouts for our runs, for our team runs. I mean, that was really the thing that, like, everyone's going to go lift and do their own thing on their own. But getting together to run and go through seven-on-seven stuff, conditioning, put ourselves in as good of a position as possible going into the season, right? And then, like, again, a good start to the season, like you said, it always seems like a a battle in the middle of the year. You don't want to... Give up your chances for as the season goes along as far as opportunities for postseason. You want to stay in it. I don't exactly remember. I have to go through those games, man. But I remember when it got hurt, and I remember the team that we had. And I remember the defense that we had. And I remember all the things that we did with the backups quarterbacks that we had in there. And looking back, when we talk, when I, I, I see Andre Johnson on a pretty consistent basis. We work out at the same gym. They have the same trainer and whoever that team, those years come up, people look at 2012 as you were 12 and four, we were 11 and one at one point, right? As like the best team. But we, if you were on that team, we thought 2011 was the year. Yeah. That was the year that if Matt Shaw was healthy, I think we even had some other injuries that year. Oh, you you lose, you lose Mario Williams week five. He'd had a sack in the first four games. Andre Johnson and Arian Foster, they essentially tagged in and out. You know, they missed big chunks of the year. You were the receiving yardage leader that season. And, I mean, you had a great season, but usually that was what what Andre Johnson was doing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, you, I mean, you were were a very important part of that offense because, like, Uh, TJ Yates relied upon you. TJ did such a fantastic job. And I think everyone picked up their games around him. The guys, obviously, on the field and then the coaching staff as well. To have Liner ready to go and have him get another opportunity in the league and then, sadly, have it be taken away from him that quickly. Have TJ go in there and start his Texan legacy. It was a pretty cool experience. And then, I mean, thinking back to that that postseason, getting that win, it's a tough win against Cincy at home and then going on the road against Baltimore. Yeah, I really, I really think, like, going into that, losing by one score in that game, Considering what happened in the game, considering being on the road, considering have a rookie quarterback who's never played against that defense before. It's remarkable. Uh, experience goes a long way if you want to be a team like that. So yeah, I really think if Shelby was in there, things would have been a little different. But man, we, we put forth one heck of an effort individually with TJ and, and everyone around him. Man, that year was absolutely special. But we got more coming up from Owen Daniels, including – the clinching win over the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll do that with Owen Daniels and Drew Doherty. Where are they now Wednesday? Right here on a Texans All Access. 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 Man, I'm telling you, I've done a lot of radio today. I am, boy, I'm, I'm wiped out and I'm hungry. And I know that on the way home, I want to hit Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers because Freddy's is all about the good and creating more of it. More drive through celebrations, more road trips around the block, more family dinners and lunches, more car picnics and desserts, maybe even more second desserts, more being together as much as we can. With 17 area locations in the Houston area, Freddy's keeps the good going with the taste that brings you back. Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers. Oh, dial me up for double steak burger with some fried cheese curds and turtle concrete. Hook that up for me on the way home, people. I absolutely would devour that meal over there at Freddy's. Okay, when we last left here on Texans All Access, I'm John Harris. We left Drew Doherty and Owen Daniels, and they were talking about the 2011 season. 
and Drew was just about to get to the clinching game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Drew, take it away. We got to talk about the clincher, though. So rewind about a month yeah, from that yeah. one. That last oh, drive, yeah. you guys, y'all, y'all trailed the entire game except for the final two seconds. And you get the, the touchdown there to Kevin Walter at the end. But on that drive, so I was on the field. Final eight minutes of every road game, I would come down the field. And I was at the basically at the 20 or you know part where you guys started that drive. And I did not move because you guys started moving. And I was like, oh, well, I'm in the right spot. So superstitiously, yeah. uh, I'll stay here. <laughs> so I'm on yes. the Texan sideline watching as y'all go down that way. You had three major, major catches on that drive. But the one that will always stick out to me is the one-hander. And I've still not seen any angle of it that really captured how magnificent a catch that was. That's better than the angle I saw looking right down. I mean, you you had to stick that paw out and bring it in with a guy draped on you. There's a little, uh, little mustard on it. Man, so speaking of that play, yeah, you had a great – if you were standing where you were standing, you had a great look at it. Uh, they put up, you know, players of the game posters or just, just pictures from the game, impact plays around the stadium. And whoever took a picture took got a perfect shot of it, of the guy holding my one arm down because yeah. I would have reached up with two hands to grab that ball, but I couldn't because he was grabbing my one arm. I don't think that, I don't think they threw a flag or anything. So no, thank goodness I was able to, to snag that thing and, and bring it in. I, I think like for me, uh, when I look at my career, I'm proud of my career. And I think one of you the things be. that I'm most, most proud of is those clutch situations, right? Third down situations, third medium situation, gotta have it situations you know i'm not necessarily getting 10 12 targets a game but when it's an important situation i'm gonna get open and i'm gonna make the play so Mm -hmm. that was just a good example of that man just just having tj's trusted me that we kind of built throughout practice during that year a little bit and whether it's making diving in practice to keep a ball off the ground and give the kid a little more confidence whatever it took to kind of like okay you can rely on on 81 when there's a, a time to make a play and then your career continues after you leave Houston. You go to Baltimore, Kubiak's the OC. You guys had a pretty damn good team that year, but you wind up winning a ring in Denver with him. What was that like? I mean, you could probably go on for years talking about this, but in about a minute or two, what was that like? I mean, getting to, getting to kind of get that ring that had sort of eluded you earlier in your career. Getting just the chance to play in my 10th year. Getting the chance to play past my career here in Houston the more I look at it, the more I reflect on it is totally relying upon coach Kubiak. Cause I went to other teams and I thought I was going to play in green Bay right when I got released here and a couple other places. And, and I failed physicals there because of my knee and coach Kub asked me when I went to Baltimore, Hey, can you play? And I think he vouched for me, you know, got me in the door, got me through that process. And same thing in Denver. He's like, Hey, you, you got another couple of years left in you. Right. And like, wow. You know, you know me coach going up there and being in Denver I knew that when coach got that job there, that that was the place that I wanted to go. Cause I was just on a one-year deal in Baltimore. And so getting a chance to go play with coach Kubik as my head coach again, obviously that's a great opportunity. Getting to play with Peyton Manning, fantastic opportunity. And with that defense that they had there, just basically turned into no brainer for me when, when, um, they, they made the offer, and that season was a grind. Now, it was a Super Bowl season, but it was a physical grind. It was a mental <laughs> grind. I think we ended up being 12-4 and four that year, but, man, we had to win some tough games late against the Patriots and against the Bengals in overtime. It was one of those situations where we needed that veteran leadership that we had. 
You know, we, we needed Peyton. We needed DeMarcus Ware. You know, we needed guys like that to keep the ship steered straight. And Coach Kubiak, I think a big reason why we were able to get that ring was he was different there than he was in Houston. I think he told, Houston, he told us about that. Yeah. First experience as a head coach. You know, so his, his, my rookie year was his first year as a head coach. And he had to do it because of the situation here. But we had to drill in. We had to kind of build that discipline within the organization. We had to learn how to win here. We had to be, he had to be a little bit more strict and a little bit more controlling those years. I think he could have maybe eased up as we were going 11, 12, 13. I think he maybe he did a little bit. But when you talk to guys, that were under Kubiak here. And then I tell him about my experience in Denver with him. I think he learned a lot from Coach Harbaugh in Baltimore. You know, letting guys be who they are. Making guys be accountable, but but letting everyone be themselves. And because you're going to have characters. You got characters in Baltimore with Suggs and, and Jacoby, Haloti. You know, you got you got guys there that are they're different. They're, for, they're different breeds, and but they're guys you can count on. So he saw how he kind of – how Harbaugh managed that stuff. And at Kubiak's a guy that – another reason why I respect him, even at that point in his career, he was going to keep on learning. He was going to mm-hmm. keep on learning how to be a better coach. And so going to Denver, like guy like Vaughn Miller, the guys like Akeem Tlaib and, and, and Peyton. It's like, hey, these guys do what they do. They're unique individuals, awesome guys, great personalities, but might not respond to being controlled the way you'd have to control a young guy. He was able to bring that different mindset to Denver, be a little bit more laid back as far as letting guys be who they are. You know, obviously still – having that standard, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing about Coach Kubiak is he always like, I treat guys fairly, but not equally, right? Right, right. So that's hey, important. You're a guy like Andre Johnson, you might be able to be late for a meeting and not 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 catch too much <laughs> heat. But <laughs> you're a guy like Peyton Manning who would never miss a meeting, neither would Dre. But if you're a young kid, you know, you better be there 20 minutes early in that meeting ready to learn. So fairly but not equally. And and, and that translated to us having that season that we did for myself personally, being able to play in a championship game, getting past that divisional round. Honestly, that AFC championship game almost seemed like a bigger game than the Super Bowl to me. As weird as it might sound. Because you beat uh, the Patriots, right? That's the one that we played the Patriots yeah. at home. Two or three targets during the game. <laughs> and they're both in the red zone. They both ended up being touchdowns. The only wow. touchdowns we scored that day. It was those situations, kind of got to have it situations where I was man coverage and Peyton gave me a chance. It was red zone plays we've been working on. And those games, that that game, just like energy in that game, you know, the, it was you know that home game feel, January and December, or January and Denver, football weather to mm-hmm. a tee knowing that we were going to play in the big game. That was the second time we had to play the Patriots that year, second time at home, second time we beat them. So to, to get you know a little bit of payback on those guys after the L's that they hung on us over the years, was it, it felt good as far as seeing Coach Kubiak after the game. He's like, hey, we finally got these guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Coach, we did, man, we did. And then getting to go in the big game and having the, the whole experience of the week Coach made it a point to emphasize living in the moment, right? So we put in all that work in Denver the week before we got to Santa Clara. You know, he wanted everyone to enjoy each experience that we had to participate in, you know, the media night or the opening night, right? The media opportunities, just practicing at Stanford University, all those things that we were able to do just to enjoy this experience. And then, hey, let's go play this game. 
let's stay focused. Let's try to get a win. And man, our defense was so locked in that day. I don't think we 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 could have lost if we tried. So getting a chance to, you know, hey, first play of the game, having a pass come my way, probably got solidly concussed on that tackle. Thought I was gonna have a big game after like, okay, first play of the game coming my way. I'm getting a, I'm getting a snag. This might be a big day. And I don't think I got one target the rest of the game. Oh man. <laughs> but I had a ring out of it. Just the absolute just pure joy and excitement. If you've if you've seen any pictures of me, there's some great shots just running at the end of the game. Just like as a kid growing up in Chicago, watching Super Bowls on TV, thinking back to being that little kid and all the little all the peewee football games and everything like high school, growing up, injuries, everything, and, and and being able to really relish in that moment was something I wish I could go back and do every day. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's wrap this up, man. What's yeah. your favorite memory as a Texan? If you had to pick one. My favorite memory as a Texan, it was clinching our first playoff berth. You know, that that goes kind of hand in hand with, with that. We played the same team. We beat the same yeah. team. So I get those games kind of mixed up on my mind sometimes. But clinching that division championship for the first time in franchise history was a feeling that we had been working for for since 2006 right yeah. it was six seasons worth of grinding to get to that time and, and it didn't come easy it, even within that game didn't come easy so that and then getting that win at home in front of front of the, the faithful crowd man I, I remember that season is some of the loud i think maybe the loudest i've ever heard that place yeah um, we're playing atlanta when we're playing since seeing the championship game or, or in the in the first round uh wild card game that that type of energy and atmosphere i'm glad i took it in at that time because uh it's something i'll never forget who do you keep in touch with texans why you said you talked about andre we heard obviously about kubiak what other teammates you still in shab who else uh, yeah there? a bunch of guys you know kush and Kevin Walter here in town. I, I still talk with Steve Slayton. I still talk with Arian all the time. The DA, uh, you had mentioned earlier in the, yep. on that draft class, and Joel Dreesen. I seen, uh, saw Joel uh, recently at the Hall of Fame induction. I saw Dave. He was in town a couple weeks ago doing some business with his sports analytic company that he's working, pushing here and trying to develop. So he's doing awesome things. So those are the guys, really, that I've uh, – and TJ that I keep in touch with still, he's doing his thing coaching. So that core group, Chris Myers, still talk to all the time. Yeah. That core group of guys there that really, I think, helped push the franchise from 06 to where it is. It's great catching up with you. It's been too long. Can't wait to see you again very, very soon. Owen Daniels, where are they now? This has been a treat. Thanks, Drew. And that was some fun stuff with Owen Daniels on a Where Are They Now? All right, we get back. Drew's going to stick around because it's time for our In The Lab podcast as we discuss the fun we had on Sunday against the L.A. Chargers. That's next on Texas All Access. We got one final segment of this evening's show, Texas All Access, on a Wednesday. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and I believe... I did 3, 12, 13, 14, 14 segments of radio prior to the show. Six more makes 20, 20 segments of radio today. How about them apples? And I'll be back for more tomorrow. We'll have, I'll be on with Seth Payne in the morning from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. I'll be on in the afternoon with Ron and Cecil for a segment talking about bowl games. And then we will be live from 6 to 7 with John McClain 
and Mark Vandermeer. So we'll have that from 6 to 7. So a lot going on. And then Friday morning, New Year's Eve day morning, I will be on with Cecil Shorts from 6 to 10. So we're going to go in and just kind of mess things all up and let the guys at Sports Radio 610 try and figure it all out after we're done. Now, two guys that get together and mess things up. Well, I'm one. Andrew Doherty's the other. We call it In the Lab, and it's fun. Sunday was fun. We talk about it here. This win last Sunday against the Chargers is one of the most fun games I've ever been at as an yep. employee of the Houston Texans. Been here since 09. You've been here since 14. That was a hell of a lot of fun, given what the expectations were, who was actually playing against who, and the way the game went. You look back on it, these two teams combined to punt one single time in the entire oh, game, which is bananas. That's and nuts. I've, I've tweeted about it a few times. I've written about it as well a few different ways. But the Texans on offense had nine possessions. Six of them ended in scores. A seventh ended in the victory formation. They had yeah. the one punt. And then the eighth wasn't a three and out. It wasn't a punt. It wasn't a turnover. It was a missed field goal, which you know you want to make yeah. all your field goals. Obviously, you want to score touchdowns every time. But you were it was a scoring opportunity. So really, just one time out of nine, you didn't really have any chance at scoring. And I mean, that's that's remarkable. And for their part, Chargers, you knew they were going to gun and you knew they could could get yeah. in the end zone. But your defense kept them out. Your defense rose up, got three takeaways, forced them to kick field goals a few other times. It was just a fun, fun all-around game, man. One of the most fun games I've ever had. And I, yeah, I know it's been a bad year. You know, you're still four and, and whatever, four and 11, but I still had a hell of a good time. That's what I got to say. And I know a lot of other people in this building feel the same way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I felt the same way, you know, when when Tav picked that pass off and, and took it to the house. I, <laughs> I, I have a there's a point in which I try and move from one side to the other. And I try and, you know, once the ball gets to around the 40, I got to make a decision. Like, do I go to the other side? Do I need to be on this side? Yep. You know, the chargers had been moving the ball. So I felt, okay, they had taken up 34 to 23 lead at that point. They're probably going to be chucking it. I need to move and let, let me get ahead of this thing. So I moved to the other side of the field. So I was on the North end as tab picked that thing off and went to the South end. And I just kind of had like a one man, like celebration and it was interesting because it just was like everything sort of coming out like all the anguish and pain and stuff was just kind of like man you know like I just let it go and it was beating a good team and it was you know Saturday afternoon Christmas getting ready for Christmas dinner and get the email from you know Omar and and Everett and everybody in PR and it says hey seven guys are coming back from COVID but you had to bring up 11 guys from the practice squad you basically you brought um, up like, your practice you basically yeah. brought up your practice squad exactly I mean, and like wait a second we're kicking with a kicker who's never kicked in the what, what we're starting a defensive lineman who's never worn a uniform in an NFL game yeah we're in week 16 um in Michael Dwumfor I, I mean oh my god and it's Justin Herbert and so look we, I knew there was no Bosa I knew there's no Corey Lindsley I didn't know there was not going to be a Derwin James but you know, those guys are you know, pretty important pieces, but you know, the Texans are, you know, 23 guys, I think were on COVID at that point on the COVID reserve list. So, you know, I didn't want to hear it from the chargers, but when Tav picked that pass off and it was like, they're going to pull this thing off. The fans that were in the building at that point went berserk. Yeah. I mean, I could hear it. I could hear it in my ears. I could hear it everywhere. And I think for a lot of, a lot of people, it was like, man, this is what I remember this team being 
running the ball for 190 yards. It ended up being 189. Davis got minus one because of the kneel down, but it was 190 rushing yards combined with a passing game that attacked down a field. It was rookies that you watched all year long that played at a high rate that gave you a lot of hope. I mean, there were six rookies that played in that game on Sunday. Davis Mills, we know what Davis did. Nico caught his first touchdown at three catches. Brevin Jordan had four catches, all of them for first downs. Jimmy Morris, he started at center. Garrett Wallow had four tackles, started at linebacker, um, and had another good week on top of the week he had against Jacksonville. And then Michael Dwumfor, the aforementioned, played in the NFL for the first time and started, ended up with half a sack, and there was a drive where he came up with three big plays. He was half a sack. He got uh, half of a sack. He had a couple other tackles on that drive. I mean, he really made himself. So you throw all that in, then you throw it's the, you know, the day after Christmas. You're thumping this team. You're not making mistakes. You're taking advantage of them. It's one of the top quarterbacks in the league, and you're really kind of knocking them off a pedestal. You pick him off twice. You get the fumble. You know, J.O. has the big game, um, you know, in his second. So I mean, there's so many good things that really combined. And I think everybody sort of internalized this entire year and kind of just let it out because his tabs running and he's scoring in the end zone. Mark had a tremendous call. I'm like losing it down on the sidelines. I'm looking around the building. The fans are just going berserk. They had their, you know, they had those like foam finger things that are yeah. kind of in the form of the, the horseshoe or Toro's head or whatever. And, and fans were just like waving them and going, it was just, it was good feeling. Now look, it's one game and you're right. Drew, it's been a rough season, but it's the kind of game that you win, that you go into the off season and you keep reminding yourself, look, you can't look this way. Even with, let me look what it looked like with a, with a skeleton lineup. I mean, with barely 46 guys to go to game day with saw a lot of the things that you've wanted to see from guys all year long. And here's the thing in the last six games, Texans are three and three now three and three. It's not enough to write home about, but it's a whole lot better than it's been up to this point and up to the bye week for sure. A big thanks to Drew for stopping by. Of course, Owen Daniels for our Where Are They Now? Kevin Kugler, Mark Vandermeer, Nick Casario. You guys are the best for listening. Thank you so much. My man, Austin Mendez, making sure that we keep it on the straight and narrow. We'll see you tomorrow, buddy. Bright and early on Painted Pendergrass, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., and then all access from 6 to 7. See you then. Have a great night, and go Texans.